Hello and welcome to this episode of Talking Research. I'm Anna Mercer, a Responsible Investment Analyst at Square Mile, and today we're talking sustainability, from how it can be defined and what engagement looks like to the potential trade-offs or challenges investors may come across, and finally, what a sustainable economy may look like in the future. This month, I'm joined by three experts in this field, Rob Harley, Portfolio Manager, Sustainable Funds Group at Stewart Investors, Paul Skinner, Investment Director at Wellington Management, and Martin Jones, Fund Manager within the Sustainable Investment Team at Lion Trust, who will be sharing their insights and expertise on this area of the investment universe. My first guest today is Rob Harley from Stewart Investors. Hello and welcome, Rob. Hi, Anna. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. And to kick off our discussion, let's start with how you define sustainable investment and how you arrived at this definition. In very simple terms, uh, sustainable investment for us means investing exclusively in high quality companies that are well positioned to contribute to and benefit from sustainable development. Um, we invest this way because we think that sustainable development is a driver of investment performance and also because we believe our capital allocation decisions can help make the world a better place for future generations. The simplest way to describe sustainable development is economic and human development that meets present and future needs but without depleting the planet's environmental resources. Um, history teaches us that as countries have grown richer, their populations have also become healthier, better educated, and up to a point, happier. Um, but these gains have usually come with a huge environmental cost. We're now using up natural resources 50% faster than nature can regenerate. So we, we have to find a different way of doing things, and sustainable investment can be part of the change. Um, this is why we choose to invest in companies that are solving difficult problems, meeting vital needs, and helping society do more with less. Uh, the, the great thing in our experience is that the companies with sustainability tailwinds are often some of the most innovative, the most adaptable, the most long-term focused, the most efficient, and the best stewarded companies. They, they often have outstanding people and cultures and a very strong and clear sense of purpose. They often blaze trails um, and they move ahead of regulators and, and set new standards themselves. They're usually the most responsible operators um, and the most considerate of all stakeholders, not just shareholders. And for all these reasons, they often generate great long-term returns for shareholders. There's the second part of your question is about how we've arrived at this idea of sustainable investment, mainly through experience. Uh, we started investing sustainably, sustainably in 2005. And ever since then, we've, we've been making mistakes and, and trying to improve. Um, we're always drawing on the diverse backgrounds and also the different experiences um, of our team and various sustainability-related policy and, and practical initiatives. And like others, you know, we read a lot and we draw on the ideas of, of wiser thinkers than ourselves. Um, we've gained a lot from Amartya Sen's human development framework, um, also the work of the Global Footprint Network and the Project Drawdown Framework for Climate Solutions. 
Um, to some extent, the UN Sustainable Development Goals have also been quite helpful, but um, mainly for communicating sustainable development benefits. And we've gained very little, if anything, from the never-ending slew of regulatory initiatives around sustainability. And we found that the work of the various ESG rating agencies has been practically no help at all to us. It's very interesting. And you mentioned there the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Many groups are, and businesses are embracing them as a framework. And it's interesting to say this, but they've led to, this has led to instances of rainbow washing. Are you able to outline what this is and how advisors and their clients can avoid it? Rainbow washing is a, is a term that gets applied to, to companies and to fund managers um, who are thought to be using the Sustainable Development Goals as, as glory badges um, based on claims that are trumped up or even made up. So rainbow washing is, is basically the same as greenwashing. Um, it really means making false claims about sustainab sustainability. Um, but it's, it's used because the SDGs are usually presented in a mosaic of 17 differently colored tiles. So it's a, it's a nice evocative term. We've, we've mapped all our portfolio holdings to the SDGs and all the mapping work is on our website where we disclose all our holdings. It's, it's a painstaking exercise to, to, to map a portfolio to the SDGs. Um, but we did it because some of our clients would like to understand the impact that their money is having in terms of the SDGs. So how can advisors and clients recognize and, avo and avoid um, you know, the, the potential pitfalls of uh, rainbow washing? For starters, um, I'd say be skeptical when you're looking at a company's sustainability report or a fund manager's marketing material. And what you see before you is, a, is every splendid color of the rainbow. And then again, in a second or third shade. Um, remember that the SDGs were developed for a wide range of actors, and, and some of them really aren't relevant to companies. A, a, a few other ideas that might be helpful. Um, first, check that the SDG claims um, that are being made are based on a contribution to one of the 169 specific underlying targets. The route should be from target to goal not the other way around. Second, uh, check that the contributions to targets are from material business activities and not just corporate uh, philanthropy. Um, third, look for evidence that the business activities make a demonstrable difference to, to target outcomes, even if that difference can't always be, be measured. And finally, we think it's worth checking to see that the SDG claims go hand in hand with information about potential negative impacts and, and risks. So be cautious if the message seems to be all positive. That's a good segue into our final question for you, Rob, because I, was, I wanted to ask you, are there trade-offs that investors need to be aware of when looking to invest sustainably? I think there are. Um, there are also a couple of areas where we think there don't need to be trade-offs. Um, one is performance. We don't think there's a trade-off between a company's ability to contribute to a more sustainable future and its long-term profitability, although uh, we would say that any good sustainability company will be prepared, if necessary, to sacrifice short-term profits 
to achieve better and more resilient long-term returns. The other, the other relates to quality. We think quality should never be sacrificed for a good sustainability story. We, we always say that there's no such thing as a, as a perfect company. And, and I think we can add to that and say that even for great sustainability companies, the case is never absolutely clear cut. Some things may be black and white, but there are always shades of gray. And it's a big part of our job um, to weigh the sustainability merits and demerits in the balance and make judgments about whether companies deserve to be in our portfolios. Uh, an interesting example of, of a trade-off is if we look at semiconductor companies. Um, so in our worldwide sustainability strategy, we invest in TSMC, Infineon Technologies, uh, Texas Instruments. Um, th these are very high quality companies and they're all digital economy enablers. They're vital for the future of electric vehicles and integrated transport systems. Uh, clean electrification and power management, gene therapy and personalized medicine, um, artificial intelligence and robotics, and one could go on for a while. At the same time, uh, these companies have to source what are known as 3TG or conflict minerals, tin, tantalum, tungsten, and gold. And these are non-renewable resources but their supply chains are also riven with conflict, with corruption, human rights abuses. And they're so opaque and complex that no company can really be sure that it isn't sourcing conflict minerals. It's a massive sustainability problem that's nowhere near being properly addressed yet. You know, we, we don't know the way forward, but we're trying to get our heads around the problem. We've commissioned research to better understand the issues and we're talking to our companies to form perspectives on what should come next. We're really just on page one of chapter one with this particular sustainability challenge. What we do know is that the problem of conflict minerals will take decades, possibly generations to resolve. We also know that we can't simply hit pause on all the technologies that'll help us address so many sustainability challenges. It's a very unfortunate situation. Um, and I'm sorry to end on a slightly downbeat note, but I think it's a good example of a difficult real life sustainable investment trade-off. Definitely, and I, I don't think it's downbeat. I think it's giving a realistic image of, as you said, those trade-offs and reminding people to stay alert to the nuances of this very um, broad area of investment. So thank you very much for joining us today. and. We hope to speak to you soon. My pleasure, Anna. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So I'm delighted to welcome my second guest today, Paul Skinner from Wellington Management. Paul, hello and welcome. Hello, Anna. Lovely to meet you. And you. So now that we know sustainability is not binary, what does it look like from a fixed income perspective? Well, within uh, fixed income, we have a huge spectrum of sustainable uh, investing. And as fixed income investors, we have a bit of a privilege in that, you know, we can look into the covenants, into the actual contractual shape of, a, of an investment and see what exactly we're investing in. So, you know, that spectrum starts with traditional active fixed income investing, where one would expect to see 
some sort of incorporation of ESG risks. And I think, you know, most managers are doing that now. In fact, you know, you should expect that of your manager to incorporate that basic ESG understanding. It's, it's a vital part of, you know, investing nowadays. I think the second stage of perhaps four stages, if you like, is that, you know, one must have some sort of minimum safeguards. You know, traditionally, what we're seeing now is people exclude things like controversial weapons or um, tobacco is is uh, another one. And I think that's probably the next stage up from ESG risks. And then after that, you start to get into proper exclusions. You start to get into, I don't want to do any harm. You know, I want my fixed income capital to avoid doing harm. And, and so, you know, potentially... You could have an exclusion that says, you know, if a sovereign has two thirds of its economy um, from fossil fuels, I, I don't want to invest in that. It's not one that's diversifying and becoming uh, a wider economy. So, you know, that third stage is really the, 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 the do no harm. And then the final stage is um, where we want to have a positive contribution, where we want to have an impact. We actually want to do something good with the capital that we're using. I think the impact side is, is really exciting at the moment. And many um, investors are looking not to just to get a return from their investments, but also to have done something positive with that capital. And, and in the old days, that used to live in the private markets, you know, to, to do something positive, you did it in the private markets. Increasingly, it's in the public domain now, the public markets, and we can invest in liquid um, investments. So that's the spectrum, really. But as I say, you can incorporate bits and bobs of all of that uh, along that spectrum. And just uh, kind of talking about how you incorporate different facets into that spectrum or interviewing approach, company engagement is often said to play a key role in many sustainable strategies and, and indeed in having an impact. But without having the ability to vote, how can, how can sorry, a fixed income approach evidence engagement? No, I think engagement is absolutely vital. You know, as... Providers of capital, we want to be changing behaviors. We want mm. to be engaging to improve the way that corporates or sovereigns or you know, any of our issuers um, behave. And as a bond investor, you're right. Mm -hmm. Once that bond is, is issued, we have very little recourse. However, if you are you know, fortunate enough to be part of a large asset management firm that has half equity and half fixed income, um, certainly here at Wellington, we believe in, in putting those two sides together so that we get access to our issuers. We, you know, we can go along, credit analyst with the equity analyst and go and visit the CEO, visit the CFO and get that engagement that we want. And at the same time, we include the ESG analyst. And, and that really is a very powerful way of um, getting access um, and getting the ability to, to, to get the attention. However, I would say that if you are a large house, of course, the conversation when a bond is being uh, originated or when it's being um, marketed is a really vital part of this. And um, I can give you lots of examples where, you know, we talk to an issuer. We had a very uh, big conversation with Italy, the, uh, the sovereign issuer. And actually, we went back to their debt office to to just get some understanding how their green bond was going to be assessed as to where it was being invest, uh, invested. And what they did is they put an independent assessor 
uh, in place to, to actually monitor where that capital was going. And that was important to us uh, and allowed us to become investors. So, uh, you know, there are two sides to it. One, working with our equity group, but B, being very proactive in that origination phase when we're deciding on what will that bond look like? What will the contract look like um, before we buy it? Uh, and, and, and that's very important. Excellent. And in terms of deciding what things will look like, there have been a number of developments in the fixed income markets, such as sustainability linked bonds. What are your views on these? Oh, Anna, I mean, the developments are so rapid and so fast at the moment because, you know, the, the market is growing in sustainable bonds, uh, you know, leaps and bounds. Uh, last year, there was 500 billion issued. This year, it's about 750 billion um, that's being issued. So it's growing by 50% uh, a year. And that issuance is met by huge demand. So we're seeing a lot of new uh, structures. Now, sustainability linked is one that has uh, a, a bit of a, um, a mixed reception in that it takes us out of the contractual use of proceeds, i.e. where we know exactly where that money's going, we know what it's being used for, and instead attaches key performance uh, indicators, KPIs, to how well that issuer does in particular um, circumstances. Now, that's very good as it, it frees up the use of capital for that issuer. So it makes it a really useful way of, uh, of raising capital. However, for us as investors, it presents challenges in that we need to have you know, uniform ways of measuring uh, those key performance indicators. We need to keep on top of them and make sure that they are um, adhering to them. And you know, often these uh, structures have a penalty that if you don't make your KPI, the coupon goes up, the, the, the amount that you pay on it. Now, often there are issuers that don't mind if they have that coupon step up. You know, they're very happy to have raised the money cheaply beforehand. And, um, and so it's a wonderful development and, and will increase the size of the market. But it's one where you just have to be more engaged, more careful uh, about what, uh, what you invest. And, and so, um, yes, exciting but um, fraught with dangers, I'd say. So you, you've mentioned there's some definite nuances to the developments that have happened and the, and the growth in that part of the market. But based on that, what are your views for the future? What do you think the sustainable fixed income market will look like? Well, it's, it, you know, it really is very exciting. You know, there, there's so much interest in, in this area. So many people want to use their capital, you know, intelligently and positive uh, mm. impact. And, you know, that's created quite a, a positive premium for issuers to, to issue into this market. Now, as I said, with sustainable uh, linked uh, market, that can, you've got to be careful uh, about that, but it opens up such a, an enormous amount of opportunity in that we can get, you know, different segments of the market. So green bonds, you know, we'll have some that are alternative energy, we'll get the cyclical economy, we'll get, uh, you know, resource stewardship, we'll get, um, We'll, we'll be able to get a much more granular approach to investing our clients' money in really interesting areas. And, you know, what we see is that you know, prices in these spaces are being driven by demand and, and are actually uh, going up. So it's a, uh, a very positive outlook for the market, increased segmentation. Excitingly, what we're seeing is more asset classes open up. 
At the moment, investment grade dominates the sustainable bond market. You know, high yield is around 10%, and that's going to increase. More opportunity in high yield gives uh, our clients opportunity for for better returns, better income uh, over time. So different asset classes, different segmentation, and, you know, a progression towards being able to choose exactly where and what you want to do. And then the final part is, of course, there's a lot of attention now in transition and uh, climate risk. You know, I can see that that transition pathway and bonds associated with that and, uh, you know, bonds that incorporate climate risk uh, are also going to be part of, uh, of that evolution. So, yeah, it's, it's a, as I've mentioned, a, a very much a growing market and, um, and that will bring us great opportunities, not just for beneficial price action, but for, for interesting areas to invest. Sounds very exciting. I won't lie. Thank you so much, Paul. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Great to chat to you. Thanks very much. So we know there are a number of developments across the market which are tackling sustainability, but what does the future actually hold? Joining me for our final segment is Lion Trust's Martin Jones. Hello, Martin, and welcome. Hi, Anna. So, Martin, turning to the future more broadly, and given the current direction of travel, what does a sustainable economy look like to you? Uh, well, it's a good uh, but tricky question. Um, as sustainability means uh, a lot of things to different people, um, and there's a lot of different connotations. But I think that sustainable development goals do a pretty got comprehensive job in describing some of the aspirations that the world has uh, to build a fairer, a safer, and more environmentally sustainable world. I mean, these are 17 goals that are broadly agreed upon by the world's nation states. And they refine and develop the the Millennium Development Goals, which preceded them. So if we did achieve, you know, these 17 development goals and the targets set beneath them, I think that would be a really fantastic achievement. Um, You know, it's going to be incredibly challenging to to achieve these. But equally, the harder the challenge, the greater the opportunities for the companies that will enable um, a more sustainable economy. I'd also say that another really concise but powerful expression of our sustainable, what our sustainable economy looks like is the, the Brundtland definition, which says, um, to, to quote, development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. So I think that's a really short and sweet way to think about our sustainable economy. Definitely. And, and how do you think sustainable investment will play a role in achieving that? Yes, well, you know, as as I mentioned, there are huge opportunities um, for sustainable investment and, um, you know, really strong returns to be had for those businesses that are enabling the transition of our economy to, say, net zero emissions, tackling poverty, improving health and and well-being, to name just a few. Um, and, And the United Nations have estimated that, you know, between now and 2030, there's somewhere in between five and seven trillion of investment opportunities required to achieve the SDGs. Um, so, so some huge you know, returns to be had uh, for those businesses. More specifically to the Sustainable Future team at Lion Trust, we categorize these opportunities in terms of themes, which we, we have three broad buckets. So better resource efficiency, so that's doing more with finite resources such as water and energy. Uh, we have improved health, which focuses on affordable and innovation and innovative healthcare, you know, as well as education. 
And then we also have greater safety and resilience as a group of opportunities, which is about preparing our critical services and infrastructure for the future. So, you know, making our systems more robust and secure. Um, yeah, so we believe that the investment industry has a really critical role to play in directing capital to those, those, those you know, high impact areas of the, the economy and balance that with strong returns on capital for our clients. Um, but thankfully, the two often go very well together. So, you know, as I said, the, the tougher the problem, the greater the, the return. But what I, I really would like to say also is that sustainable investment is not a, you know, a panacea. It's not there to solve all of the world's problems. You know, we're part of the, the broad solution, but we need governments, you know, the private sector, civil, civil society to all work together to achieve a, a sustainable economy. We're just one part of the, of the puzzle. Very true. And you did mention those um, high, those three high overarching themes that you, that you guys invest in. But are there any companies within those that you particularly like to focus on or draw out today? Yeah, yeah we we're really excited about a number of our themes. Um, you know, I probably like to really draw out the, the the healthcare theme. So thinking about the structural growth behind providing affordable healthcare uh, and enabling innovation in healthcare, because. You know, we are witnessing some incredible leaps in our ability to treat really horrible diseases, improve our health and wellness with things like gene therapy or immunotherapy, personalized medicine, gene sequencing, you know, the list goes on in the incredible achievements that we're seeing. Uh, and this all comes at a time of great need where we have uh, aging populations living with chronic illnesses and spiraling healthcare costs. Um, so we've got lots of exciting firms in our portfolios, but one that I we're, well, I particularly am really excited about uh, is Zur Rose. This company entered our portfolios uh, in, in just this year. It's a European digital healthcare company. You know, they, they started out life as an online pharmacy selling over-the-counter pharmaceutical products, but is now digitizing the, the, the continental European prescription market. So really exciting growth in telemedicine, um, digital prescriptions, um, and all sorts of, of, of growth to come from these areas. So they help to drive down costs for patients, health insurers, governments, whilst also improving consumer experience uh, with an easy to use and convenient you know, service. Um, so the company you know, wants to enable uh, consumers to manage their healthcare with one click with an easy integrated uh, uh, application. So, you know, that's one we're really excited about the prospects for the next couple of decades. We can't wait to hear more on that in the future from you. And thank you, Martin. Thank you. And thanks again to Rob and Paul for joining me on this episode of Square Miles Talking Research. We hope you enjoyed this instalment and would welcome any feedback that you may have. To keep up to date with the latest releases, please follow Square Mile Research on Spotify or Apple Music. Thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded on the 7th of September 2021. It is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. Square Mile makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. 
This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Square Mile at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity, and it's not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.